Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, The DMV Download. Don't worry, top news from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Wednesday, August 10th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today is the birthday of the Smithsonian Institute. The museum juggernaut is now 176 years old, but it very nearly never existed at all. WTOP's Rick Massimo brings us a little-known story of twists and turns of fate that ultimately brought us the Smithsonian we know today. The Smithsonian will tell you that that we were 800th in line at the Court of the Chancery in London. To get the money. To get the money. And a local baseball team has made it to the Junior League Baseball World Series. This Loudoun County team lost its chance for a championship during the pandemic and is now looking to win it all this year. WTOP's Mike Marillo tells us more. This was kind of their redemption a bit, you know, their chance to actually go to a World Series. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan is off today. The suspended planes of the National Air and Space Museum, the glorious paintings of the National Gallery of Art, the winding hallways in the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. These are just a few of the jewels that make up the crown that is the Smithsonian Institute, which turns 176 today. It's the largest museum and research complex in the world. Moreover, all of its 21 museums are literally free, free to visit. But the Smithsonian we know and love today came very close to never existing on multiple occasions. WTOP's resident historian Rick Massimo is here to tell us this story. Rick, thanks for being here. Yeah, sure. (laughs) We always appreciate you coming on to give us this really interesting background. So this story starts in the 18th century with James Smithson, a man who never set foot in the U.S. So who really was this man? Well, James Smithson was a British aristocrat. He was the illegitimate son of a uh, of a duke, mm. and he was he was born in Paris. You know, his mother was uh, sort of spirited herself away to Paris to give birth to him. He actually went by by James Macy in uh, during his childhood, and uh, he was a he was a scientist at the time. The term was natural philosopher, mm. and he was a very connected scientist. He you know he worked. The interchange of knowledge was very important to him. He worked with scientists from all over Europe, exchanging knowledge and information, which was difficult because there were a lot of wars happening in Europe during his during his lifetime. In fact, he was taken prisoner by Napoleon once. Oh, wow. They thought he was a spy because he was, you know, traipsing around and, and conversing with, with all of these scientists. And I hate to pause on the fact that he was an illegitimate child, but what does that mean in the 18th century? I mean, right now, that designation kind of seems odd. Well, uh, what Anne-Marie Gilliland at the Smithsonian told me was... He wasn't allowed to join the military. He wasn't allowed to join um, the church to be like a a leader in a church, the way a second son, perhaps, in an aristocratic family might have done. And his father never acknowledged him, like, in any sort of, like, public way. Uh, not to say that they didn't know each other. He was never actually acknowledged as the son of a duke. The things that the son of a duke would be able to do in British society, 
they were not open to him. You know, he wasn't he wasn't destitute and he accumulated a decent amount of money in his lifetime, but he needed to make his own name in life. He didn't mm. he didn't just get to say I'm the next I'm the next duke of whatever. Right, and that's connected to Smithsonian, which really bears his name, which we'll get to a little later. So in 1829, he died, and he accumulated a considerable amount of money. And we know that this money is really what started the Smithsonian Institution. But how did this money get across the pond, as it were? There were a lot of factors there. Uh, first of all, he he never married and he never had children. He left his money in his will to his nephew, but he said that if the nephew died without having any children of his own, the money would go to found an institution in the United States in Washington dedicated to the increase and diffusion of knowledge among men. Well, at the time of Smithson's death, his nephew is 26. Mm. So what are the odds that he's not going to have any children? But as a matter of fact, he didn't. He died uh, six years later, and he never had any children, so the U.S. got the money. Now, that said, a lot of us know how slowly probate court can work, <laughs> right? and this was especially true then. The Smithsonian will tell you that, that we were 800th in line at the Court of the Chancery in London. To get the money. To get the money. And it took two years to get the money, and that was record time. Like we, some of the cases, you can see it in the Smithsonian. They have a list of things that, if it had gone the other way, the Smithsonian would never have existed. And a lot of the cases that were ahead of us never got resolved. Wow! But they, um, but they sent over a lawyer named Richard Rush, who, God knows how he jumped over so many people in line, but they got they got the money in two years. And this money was coming from Great Britain, which our new country had just fought a revolution against. So were there any questions about this British money coming to the U.S.? Was that a problem? There were a lot of problems with that. And, and you know, you're, you're mentioning the revolution. Um, don't forget the War of 1812 and yes. the, like, you know, the burning down of the hello, the White House. So, yeah, gosh, we're, you know, Congress is like, gosh, a big sum of money— to plunk a building down on in the middle of D.C. with the name of this British guy on it, a British guy who never even came to this country. I I don't know. Uh, this you know a lot of people had some. There were very serious questions. There were serious questions about this. Right. I mean, chief among them is why? Why is this British guy wanting to create a new institution of knowledge in a country that he's never been to? Do we know the answer to that question 176 years later? So there was a fire at the Smithsonian at the Smithsonian Castle about 10 years after it was founded. We don't know exactly why Smithson wanted to found an institution mm. for the for the increase in diffusion of knowledge in Washington DC. Why that's what he wanted to do with his money. We don't know for sure because there was a fire in the Smithsonian Castle. And a lot of his papers burned up. So that's what they told me was, you know, we don't have a document saying this is why I left this money to them. Mm. Um, their best guess, and a lot of people's best guesses, is just because he wasn't able to take the play, take his place in British 
aristocracy, nobility. So he didn't feel a strong attachment to that whole thing. And he liked the egalitarian ideal of of the United States, and he wanted to support that. Mm. Like I said, we don't know for sure, but that's as good a guess as any. I found this quote attributed to uh, Smithson that kind of speaks exactly to that point. It also kind of takes us back when I read it and hear it. Quote, the best blood of England flows in my veins. On my father's side, I am Northumberland. On my mother's side, I am related to kings. But this avails me not. My name shall live on in memory of man when the titles of Northumberland and Percy are extinct and forgotten. So he definitely wanted to make a name for himself. Yeah, and I think he was pretty right about that. I'd have to say he kind of got that. I hadn't heard of those names. There you go. <laughs> right. And when the Smithsonian Castle was built... This was at a time when the U.S. Capitol wasn't complete, the Washington Monument wasn't complete. I mean, it really was one of the first major structures in that mall, National Mall area. Yeah, and it was this red stone building mm. as opposed to, you know, the white marble Grecian. Neoclassical, yeah. Yeah, so this is a very different kind of deal. And, you know, again, by this British guy who, you know, that's the country that burned down the— uh, uh, the White House, like, in living memory of right. of everyone in Congress. Just down the road from the castle. Just down the road. So it was a whole thing. Wow. And James Renwick designed the castle. Uh, it has nine spires. None of them are the same. I asked, you know, was was he just being a cuss? And, <laughs> well, they laughed, but they didn't say no. And, uh, you know, it, it, and yeah, he wanted it, he wanted it to look like a European university as opposed to looking at looking like this greek temple of democracy which so much of the rest of the mm. of official washington looks like and just to review so far there's the nephew that didn't have kids there's this 800th in line position of this money there's the doubts cast fry congress at smithson's money coming to the us i mean there's so many hurdles that the smithsonian institute had to go over to even exist and we're still not even done yet with this story. So once the castle was built, they didn't really know what to do with this idea. You know, it's kind of a general idea to diffuse knowledge. What does that mean? But it ended up turning into museums. Well, that's the thing. An institution for the increase in diffusion of knowledge, you know, now it seems obvious that that's going to be a, a network of museums all across Washington, D.C., which is a tourist mecca for a lot of people. But it doesn't have to mean that. It could, it could mean a university. It could mean a publishing house. It could mean a research institute. The first secretary of the Smithsonian, a guy named Joseph Henry, he didn't want a museum. And when you think of his reasons, there's some pretty solid points. Uh, a museum exists in one spot. And you say, well, okay, it's a... You know, but this one spot is Washington, D.C. It's one of the tourist centers of the world. Well, okay, but, you know, it's 1846. First of all, what's tourism? Mm. What are tourists? What are you talking about? <laughs> what's globalism? <laughs> yeah, and sec what are, yeah, and second of all, it's D.C. is still mostly rural at this point. Mm. There are, you know, there are streams running through running through the center of town. This is not this is not in any way, shape, or form the city that it is now. Mm -hmm. So starting a museum was very much like you get what he was getting at. Like we're not he was saying we're not really gonna be 
increasing and diffusing knowledge by starting a museum in this in this backwater town. Now, his assistant and the second secretary of the Smithsonian, a guy named Spencer Fullerton Baird, he felt the other way. He felt mm. that uh, that collecting species at a time when the country was expanding westward, you know, collecting all the species that people were finding, he felt that was a very important thing and keeping them in one place so that people could, uh, so that scientists could see it all in one place. That was very important to him. Mm. So that's how, you know, his vision sort of won out and that's how it became a museum. Of course, it is also a research, a research institute as well. Right, right. And that's kind of what brings us the Smithsonian we know and love today, which uh, which is just incredible. I mean, I grew up here in D.C., so I have so many fond memories of the zoo, um, of the National Gallery of Art. I mean, so many captivating pieces of knowledge that I just have free access to because yeah. of this idea of this British guy. Everybody has <laughs> free access to it. Yeah. And your knowledge was increased. It worked. And I think we just diffused some of it here. <laughs> well, Rick, thanks for coming on and telling us kind of this little known history of the Smithsonian on its 176th birthday. Great. Thanks. And after the break, an inspiring story about 14-year-olds who get their second chance at a baseball championship after the pandemic took away their first. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like this show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We love hearing from you guys and your reviews really do help other listeners find this, our area's only in-depth daily local news podcast. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And before we go, there's a baseball team in Loudoun County that is getting its second shot at a championship. See, back in 2020 during the pandemic, the team had a really good chance of making it to the Little League Baseball World Series. But now, two years later, they're getting a shot to win the Junior League World Series in Michigan. WTOP's Mike Merlo has that story. Mike, tell us where this team's at. If you remember back in 2019, Loudoun South actually made it to the semifinals before falling. So they mm. actually were in Williamsport uh, that year. So the year after, they were supposed to try for it again, you know, continuing from the momentum they had from the year before. But what happened 2020? COVID. Mm. So you had the kids unable to get their chance to move to the Little League World Series and try for it. So some of the kids this year, now this same team of a lot of the same kids who didn't get their chance in 2020 to try to get to that World Series, they're older now. They're 14. And this year, they won the game that gets them to the World Series for the Junior League. Mm. So it doesn't get a lot of attention, but for these kids, it's a special moment because they wanted their chance to go to Williamsport and to fight for it. And the team you know, was doing so well the year before. You might think they, ha they had a chance, you know, and they didn't get that chance. So for these kids, you know, talking to uh, several of them, they're excited to go to a World Series for their youth baseball, you know, careers, I guess, lack of a better term there as they play this out, this was kind of their redemption a bit, you know, their chance to actually go to a world series. So we have Loudon's house junior league 
baseball team, which got the chance now to go to the World Series. And that's in Michigan for the Junior League, and that'll be happening uh, next weekend. Yeah, representing this area well. And, you know, over this past week, there's been a video of one of these games in the World Series where uh, a pitcher throws the ball, it hits the Little Leaguer right in the head, kind of underneath the helmet, and everyone's stunned. Thankfully, the batter was okay. The batter mm-hmm. then, you know, goes to first base, but he looks back and sees that this pitcher is, like, distraught. So the batter, who was just hit, then runs over to the mound and hugs hugs the pitcher who just, you know, oh, threw wow. a ball at him and said, you know, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. I'm okay. Everything's going to be all right. And then all, like, all the teams kind of came together and hugged it out, literally. And it was just this heart-wrenching, beautiful kind of scene. And that's what you want to see out there, right? You know, the lessons these kids get from playing baseball and and doing it at a young age. Those are the types of stories you want to see. The camaraderie, sticking up for one another, helping one another. A lot of life lessons are being learned there on, on the baseball field. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We're brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. You can follow us on social media where we post content every day. You can find out more about this show and become one of our VIP listeners at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and on the WTOP News app. Have a good one, and I'll see you tomorrow.